This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 154 of the Laravel News Podcast. I'm going to turn my my microphone down a tiny bit here because I think I'm clipping. Sorry about that, everybody. If I just blasted out your ears, <laughs> my apologies. But welcome to episode 154. Thanks so much for hanging out with this. Quick shout out at the top of the show to our sponsor, Honey Badger. They're back, folks. They are back and freaking better than ever. We love you, Honey Badger. For all of your error tracking needs, Honey Badger is the place to be. Definitely check that out, folks. It is awesome. And we are so thankful to have you back as a sponsor. Honey Badger, thanks so much. Michael, how's it going, dude? Going well. Just uh, just got back from a, a 5K. Nice. Really? Took a... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm back running. Um, I we went, we went to the park with the kids this morning and we came back and I, I said to Ray, you know, I, there's a nice breeze at the moment. So the temperature is just right. There's a nice breeze. And I said, knowing my luck, the nice breeze will be into my face on the way back which makes the run harder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I run down the, along the Esplanade, so like right on the foreshore sure. at the beach. Yeah. And so the wind is always blowing in my face. doesn't matter whether I'm <laughs> going away from home or coming right. back from home. They like swells. So um, now I managed to shave 22 seconds off my personal best uh, 5K average. Nice. Oh, your average. Okay. No, well, it's well, in my yeah. kilometer my average average kilometer pace. So it's going pretty good. But yeah, about two minutes off. Good deal, end, man. That's so great. It's coming down. Down, down to 32 minutes for five. So getting there. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. It's got to bro, do more. I, now that it's getting warmer and, and consistently warmer, I'm, I'm starting to, to run a bit more. That's great. But, uh, with these old man's knees, I was actually, Dude, got okay. the, you know, the Facebook memories came up and um, 11 years ago today, I did my first knee injury. So <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that I'm not, I mean, I actually forgot that you had the knee injury stuff because I was just about to bring up like, dude, I'm getting old. My knees are not great. Like I haven't had surgery yet mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't know, maybe this summer I was like first knee pain I've ever felt ever. Yeah. And it was like, we went on a trip to St. Louis. We went and saw the arch, went and did all this fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And like my kids were like jumping off this curb and doing something like funny. And I was like, oh yeah, you think that's cool? Watch dad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mistake. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> twisted that knee. And now like uh, if I ever do anything a little too intense, it's like the next day I'm like limping down the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. come on. Come on. Yeah. yeah this is my be like old man life. Dorinda pretty soon. Pretty much. And yeah. need some knee surgery and <laughs> yeah. no fun. No pray fun. pray so, that you uh, don't, don't need the surgery because it's not much fun. It knocks you out for a bit. And, uh, and then it's just, it's just a slow, slow recovery. So yeah. Um, 10 years, 10 years ago today, I, I did the, did, did the right knee. And it was funny because I was looking at it. I'm like, hang on, I did my left knee three years ago in October. And it's like the 31st of October here. I'm like, if I can just make it through today without, because like October seems to be the month that I do my knees. So uh-huh. yeah. that was fine. It was, it was actually a good run. <laughs> Don't so. screw up your knee. And then you went for a run. And yeah, then I, I mean, went for a run. Okay. Knowing this, like I, I saw this on Facebook and I was already committed to the run. I'm like, I'm, I'm going anyway. Like this is going to happen. So but it, it felt good. Um. The last 5K I did two weeks ago felt pretty good as well. And then like was not as good the next day. So I went, had a, had a shower and I got to put some cream in, into the knee, um, in both knees, I guess, just to make sure that they settle. So it's usually we, uh, into the evening and the next day that they start to flare up. No, I'm, I'm going to ask this. I assume this is true, but you guys have paintball. You know what paintball is? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. 
So recently went to a birthday party that my kid was invited to and the dad of the other kid was like, hey, you want to just come and play paintball too? I could use another adult to kind of help manage the kids. I was like, dude, yes, please. (laughs) That'd be awesome. So I played that day and like my knee was destroyed uh, the next day. And that was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, like really bad. But then I was like, I got to go back with my team. So took my team uh, from work back to go paintballing on Thursday this last week. Mm -hmm. Destroyed my knee again, which was worth it. Totally worth it. Uh, dude pulled his hamstring though, like <laughs> slipped and it popped. And yeah. he was like, you know, cause so, you know, only one really bad injury, but, uh, so fun. Dude. Yeah. And like that, I'm sure I ran at least a 5k during that thing. Cause you just like, you're just oh, running yeah, your moving the whole time and heart it's, out. and it's like up you and don't down and it. you know, it's across the terrain. Yeah. So it's, it's not like you're exactly. just running. It's, it's full on. And then just the pain you feel the next day and two days yep. later and three yep. days later. So exactly and like the, i mean you don't realize it until after you get shot and you're walking off the field and you're like <gasps> yeah because i haven't run in too long mm-hmm. so yeah hey, anyway all, we all should like probably that. get into it shall we Let's do it all right the Laravel team released 8.65 with the ability to generate test files during make commands a string headline method getting a subset of data as a collection from the request instance and the latest changes in the 8.x branch. Let's start with this string headline method. So Steve Bauman contributed a headline method to the string and stringable classes, which converts a string into studly words. So uh, if, for example, you had a class called voice recording stored, and you're using, um, you know, as you might with your classes, this is typically how we do it. You capitalize each word like you would use camel casing, but usually in camel casing, you do lowercase on the first mm-hmm. and then you kind of go up from there. You you would rec- you would uh, uppercase voice recording stored all as one word. If you passed that to headline, the string headline, it would say voice space recording space stored with each of those words being uppercase, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also do it with studly words. So if you had dashes, if you had something in kebab case and you did studly words, it would do the same sort of casing, uppercase on each one of those with spaces in between. Uh, so that's the new headline uh, method there. We have a gate policy callback, which was contributed by Leonard Karstens Behrens. Uh, so he contributed the ability to pass policy callbacks to a gate. So you have policies which typically are related to models, so you can set those up, uh, but you also have this idea of gates, which a gate is essentially just an ability that you can define, and then you can have a truthy statement uh, that will then determine whether or not they, uh, a particular user has the ability to do a, an action, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, I'm going to kind of read through it here. He has gate inspect post policy class. Okay, so he's looking at a post policy and he's looking at the update method, passing in a post, authorizing it. Let's see, pass callbacks to a gate. Sorry, folks. I think the key here is that it's using the tuple notation. So where... Is that it? Yeah. He has like an invocable policy here though. Um, yep. So same as with with routes, right? Um, where you can have like slash user and then you have an array and then you have user controller comma index. Or if you well, have, have like the pull request of this one. Or if you have like subscribe to a newsletter as a as a class that just has an invoke method. So this is this is around being able to No, you're right. Click through. Yep, that's right. Click through from your classes you to the things. Whereas before you would have like gate um, check or gate allow and you would just have like update as a string and then you've got to like go and yep. find the corresponding policy and things like that. So now, um, you know, conventionally it would be gate colon colon check update as a string comma. And then you'd pass like dollar post or new, new post as a model. 
And then conventionally, mm-hmm. yep. you would know that that refers to post policy in post the app policy, policies right. directory, whereas this is being explicit using the, the tuple notation. We would pass it an array, which is the, f- the first element in the array is the, is the class. Uh, so post policy, colon, colon, class. And then the second is the, the method. And then if it's an invocable, it's, it's an implied. So you just pass the, the class as a, like the class string there as a, as a parameter. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see this kind of stuff leaking through, or not leaking through, I suppose, finding its way, creeping into the framework. Because it is nice yep. from a, yeah, it makes it from a discoverability, for yeah, or, yeah. For IDEs, for, for discoverability and, and, you know, following the code from, you know, route through to controller, through to policies and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's good for navigation of code, especially if you're coming into a new code base. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's exactly what it is. Yep. After looking at the pull request, you are 100% correct. That is what it is. Um, okay, we've also got this configurable remember me cookie duration. So James Freeman contributed a configurable duration for the remember me cookie that is configurable via the config slash auth file. Uh, so a remember me cookie, you may know, is if somebody logs into your site, uh, what Laravel will do is if you have a remember uh, Boolean that's coming through and it's true, it will set a cookie so that the next time they come back to your site, they will not need to log in again. It will just check that token value, make sure that that matches what's in their remember token in the users table, and then we'll just automatically log them in. So what this allows you to do is set a value like remember now add days seven, and then you just, in this case, is just calling diff in minutes. So it's just providing a uh, minute value to that remember token. So the mm-hmm. default expiration is five years, uh, which will continue to be the case if you don't set a configuration value, but now you have the option to set it for shorter duration. Uh, we also have the ability now to generate tests within various artisan commands. So Luke Downing contributed the ability to use the dash dash test or dash dash pest flag, if that's your preferred flavor of PHP unit stuff using pest. So dash dash test or dash dash pest flag to generate a test during artisan make commands. Here's the list of commands that now have this flag. Command, job, listener, mail, model, notification, controller, or middleware. So if you make any of those, so PHP artisan make uh, notification, dash dash pest, that will generate the notification class as well as a test for you uh, in the pest flavor. So that's pretty helpful. We now also have, uh, this is a tough one, Eraldo Aravalo Delphin contributed the ability to get a subset of input data from the requests collect function. So if you have a request coming in and you're passing in a set of users, you're passing in a set of roles, you're passing in an email, you can then in your controller call dollar sign request collect and then say, give me all the roles. And that will give you a collection of the values that were passed through in the request. Uh, validating multiple date formats. Steve Bauman contributed the ability to pass multiple date formats to the date format validation rule. Uh, previously, you could only pass one one uh, date format to this. And so it would say if it wasn't that format, it fails. So now this validates the input must match one of the possible formats. So you might pass your month day or just month day, excluding the year. And then later you could say, if they exclude the year, assume it's this year, right? You could do something like that. So now you can pass multiple uh, format options to that validation rule. We also have contributed by Dries an update from method for the Postgres uh, uh, SQL grammar. Uh, And then lastly, we have a new assertion, assert redirect contains. So Frederick contributed this ability uh, to assert redirect contains method 
on the test response instance. So you could say it contains a particular URL fragment. So you could say you might not know exactly the entire thing that you're looking for, but you're going to know it's going to contain a particular fragment. You can assert that the redirect contains that URL fragment and uh, check its truthiness. Wow, that's a lot of stuff there. So that's 8.65. A lot of stuff to play around with there. Michael, 8.68 coming up next. You say that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff in one release. This next one covers 8.66, 8.67, and 8.68. So we're going to hit the the high, highlights of each of those ones starting from 8.66. The first one we have here is a pull request from Chris Kankevich, which is an ar- array is list method. So in the array illuminate support ARR class, there is a new is list, is list method for determining for determining if an array is a list. An array is considered a list if all the keys are sequential integers starting at zero without gaps in between them. So this is if you have just an array of values. So you've got an open array bracket, you've got a list of names, you know, Jake, comma, Taylor, comma, Jeffrey, colon, uh, comma, uh, Matt, right? That is a considered a list in programming terms. Uh, if you want to know more about that, you can check out pull request 39277 for a discussion on the method and upcoming PHP support starting in version 8.1 with PHP's array is list function. On that note, uh, I saw Muhammad put in a pull request the other day to support Nate or Laravel native casting of enum objects and essentially just checking like does the enum exist function exist in you know, in the environment. And if it does, then, you know, return true and continue doing the thing. So it's a nice way to sort of start getting ready for PHP 8.1 by um, using these faux feature flags, you know, checking to see if the function exists and then calling it to determine if the thing is what you think it is. Um, so that's a nice way of kind of getting ready, getting your code ready for these things coming in a, in an imminent version of PHP. So question, like, what's it called if it's not a single, so like, you know, this is like a non-keyed array, right? I mean, it's keyed. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. just integers. So you're not defining the keys. It's just filling them automatically for you. What's it called? Like a hash map or something or a dictionary? Yeah, this, I don't know. It's it, like gets different. A bit, it gets a bit murky for me. And I think like hash map and there's a struct and there's like um, a dictionary. There's like all of these things. I think some of them are kind of synonymous with each other as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, in PHP, everything is an array, but there's like flavors of array. So sure, in this right, instance, exactly. there's a list. Um, you've got you know, we've got associative arrays, which is where they're keyed by string, which I think is a different, you know, it's a different thing altogether. Um, it's associated. In terms yeah, of like yeah, actual. Right. Associative yeah. array, yeah. Um, but it's only it's only if they're consecutive keys. So if you've got a list and then you sort it. Ah, uh, yeah. For example. Uh, so, if you, you know, you want to, you've got this list of names and then you sort it by, you know, by name. And that kind of shuffles the array, but you're preserving the keys. So they're out of order. So, you know, they, um, Matt comes first or Jeffrey comes first and then Matt and then whatever in, in that instance, because it's shuffling the keys that by this definition wouldn't be considered a list list because the keys are not consecutive starting with, with zero. So um, that's something to to be mindful of if you're going to be using that functionality. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, Next up at Juris, Juris contributed a has any method to the assertable JSON, which asserts that at least one of the given properties exists. So this is on your JSON test responses in your application testing. Uh, That's it for the 8.66 changes. In version 8.67, Dries Vince contributed more PHP 8.1 fixes in preparation for next month's general availability release of PHP 8.1. So next month being November at the time of this recording. So we've got the ability to remove mimicking now that PHP 8 
mimicking PHP 8 now that we're nearing the PHP 8.0 release date. So version 9 of Laravel is going to set PHP 8 as a baseline. So in preparation for that, we're going to start dropping some of the um, PHP 8 specific mimicking functionality. I think you so mean Laravel pretending X. as though we're using 8. Uh, Laravel X, are we skipping 9 and going straight to 10? Tim McDonald. He's got a he's got a he's got a juicy post out there on Twitter on the tweets, the tweets. So I have to do I have to check this out. I'm a bit behind on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, You're, he's your fellow Aussie. Uh, so sorry, go he ahead. is my fellow Aussie. He's my fellow Aussie. We've also got the a new preferred lowest build status so for testing. We've got separate build steps for minimum versions for Symphony, PHP Unit, and Common Mark as they cannot be bumped through Composer. They were bumping some libraries for PHP 8.1 compatibility, adding more clearer messages for skip mail tests on PHP 8.1 since Swift Mailer won't be patched for it and we're going to be moving towards the Symphony Mailer component and some of the PHP 8.1 tests have now been unskipped now that um, we've got complete support for PHP 8.1 raring and ready to go. So great work to the team at Laravel. Uh, we talked about this last week where they've they've been going through the wars essentially trying to get everything ready for PHP 8.1 with all of the miscellaneous breaking changes across the, the ecosystem. So good work again to them. Um, and lastly, two two pull requests we've had here or two changes that we've had brought in for Laravel 8.68. The first is a database schema restrict on update. So this was added by Melek Revai. It is a restrict on update migration method, which is just syntactic sugar for on update restrict in your database migrations. And lastly, Nuna Madura contributed three new methods to the test response class, including a DD, a DD headers, and DD session methods so you can dump the response without having to sort of previously you'd have to like tap tap the response and then dd response json in there so now you can just response dd and it will give you the the json payload that was returned so that is all of the things that we have hit here at a high level there's a whole bunch as always of fixes and changes and additions which we will link to in the show notes i think this is i think tim was trying to make a joke when he said this because he deleted his original tweet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he's i don't know tim tim what are you doing what are you doing over here stirring the pot causing controversy what is happening that is the australian way that is the australian way i think maybe i'm just gullible enough to you know believe tim hey um fyi sidebar uh there was a dude who was painting some stuff at our offices this friday and i'm mm-hmm. like hey good morning how's it going and he's like hey mate how's it going and i'm like oh boy oh boy one of these <laughs> We have we have infiltrated your inner sanctum. Oh no, it was it was hilarious. Like literally, he was the most Australian sounding Australian. I'm way more Australian than you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that even makes sense. I think you've Mm -hmm. been talking to me long enough that you now sound a little bit less Australian, maybe. Like, or maybe you just talk to you know. You just used to it, American. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But he was like, you know. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's different levels of Australian accents. Like, you know, if I talk to somebody from Texas, like People, they've got like, you know, they're like yeah. a homegrown, like Southern Texan, whatever. They're going to have like, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to sound like they've different got dialect. a Southern dialect, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you talk to somebody from Georgia, they're going to have a little bit different, right? There's different sort yeah. of dialects, if you people, will. Right? People from the eastern, people from the eastern states of Australia definitely have that more stereotypical Australian mm-hmm. accent. Yeah, than that was him. Us non non than than our non convict settling. 
parts of Australia <laughs> where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, so he definitely sounded like, you know, Crocodile Dundee, right? He just was like mm-hmm. every catchphrase. It was hilarious. He was a really, really nice guy, <laughs> right? But I was like, what part of Australia are you from? Uh, I can't even remember. Victoria? Is that right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely from the eastern eastern states. Yeah. And I was like, my buddy's from Adelaide. He's like, oh, the city of churches or something. That's what he said. Yep, what, that's us. I don't know what that is. He said, "Ask him about how many churches they have in their city." I didn't know what that was. We have a we have a lot. Of, we have a lot of, like actual churches. You know what a church is? I do know. I, I was just like, I never, I have never heard this. The city of churches thing. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, so we have lots of churches. Okay, in our that's, city. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I come, I'll have to. You know, if I come over there sometime, have to go see all the beautiful churches in Adelaide. Although I kind of feel like if I come over to Australia, I'm probably not going to make it all the way to Adelaide. Probably not. No, probably not. No. Most people don't. No. Uh, most people coming to Australia kind of stay on the, like they'll go to Sydney and that's it. That's Australia yep. to most people, especially yep. most Americans. They see Sydney and they're like, this is Australia. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna spend some time in the bush, in the outback. I'm just going <laughs> to go, you know, I'm going to go like central. You may not come back. <laughs> Dude, it's such a huge like continent and like only the, like you look on, like you look at it at nighttime and like only the southern and eastern portions, like along the coast are lit up. It's it. It's only the coast that's, that, that's right. Yeah, it's only really the coast that's settled. There's like this whole plain between where I am in Adelaide and Perth where there's just like nothing. Yeah, there's, exactly. You know, there's it's a crazy. dot here and there, but there's just nothing yeah. for, I think it's two and a half thousand kilometers or something. Oh my gosh. thousand kilometers from so here it's to Perth. Literally like, all, there's it's, just nothing. It's just all outback. That's what it is, right? It's just like. It's just, just nothing. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. nothing. Wow. Wild. Yeah, all of our all of our population. I think ninety six percent of our population is concentrated along the, you know, those those capital cities. Basically, is it like uninhabitable? Is that why there's nothing there, or is it just really yeah, hard? There's just no infrastructure. Or? Yeah, there's just like there's just no infrastructure. There's nothing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in the, through the middle of Australia, it's just too hot. Like it gets fifty yeah. degrees in in summer and things like that. It's just there's there's no water. There's, there's just because well, we're a giant island. Like there's nothing right. in the middle. Yes, yeah. you know. Exactly. Yeah. There's like no, you don't have any like massive rivers or anything running down from. Yeah. No. Okay. Not like Mississippi or anything. Okay, cool. We can move on, my friend. Hey, we're going to transition to the packages section. You know what we need? We need like a soundboard or something to like cue the packages music. Packages. Packages. All right. Here we go. Tall Toasts is a toast notification library library. For the Laravel Tall Stack, Michael, what does Tall stand for? T A L L. Tall stands for Tailwind, Alpine, Laravel, and Livewire. So, if you happen to be using that stack, Tailwind, Alpine, Laravel, and Livewire, um, you can use Tall Toasts. So, what makes this package stand out to me is the ability to render customizable toast messages, either from the back end or the front end. Thank you, Entangle. The Tall Toast package also has a negligible footprint on the published CSS JavaScript. So the front end API for triggering a toast message looks like this. Toast.info, first argument, you pass in the description, and the second argument, you pass in the title. That's it. Or you can say toast success or toast warning or toast danger, and then you actually have a very similar API from the PHP backend, which is toast as a function call, so toast double parens, arrow, info, where you pass same signature, description first, title second, and then you say arrow, push. That's it. So you can do the same thing, toast info, toast success, toast warning, toast danger. And then these toast messages, uh, you then show them up on the front end, right? In addition to the API, you have complete control Mm -hmm. over the look and feel of the messages by overriding the package's default blade views 
that comes styled with Tailwind classes. Um, so if you need Toast notifications and you happen to be using the tall stack, this solves either sending it from the front end or sending it from the back end, sending it from Alpine or sending it from Liveware, right? It solves both problems mm -hmm. for you. So you should definitely check this one out. And since it also allows you to override and customize the Toasts completely, you're going to want to check this one out. I am going to send this to my other developer right now. There we go. It is sent. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dorinda, on with the show. Beautiful. Next up, the ability to crawl and index your website with Laravel Site Search, which is a package by our friends at Sparsi. You can think of this as a private Google search for your sites to crawl and index all of your content and provide a highly customizable and indexed search. Um, this one will use Miele search in the backend to handle all of that indexing and searching for you. Using this package, you can create an index via the provided artisan command, which will prompt you for the name of the index you'd like to make, the URL of the site, and so on and so forth. And once you have your index, you can crawl the site using a queued job with the provided console command and search against the index. Very easily, you can use the search, so the Sparsity Site Search search class, colon, colon, on index, provide it the name, and then query, and then fetch the results. And you can limit it to the first 20 results. Um, you can paginate by 20. Um, and as I said, under the hood, it's using Miele Search, which provides exceptionally fast search speeds and various customization options. Miele Search is like, I've not used it myself, but it it feel it looks and feels like a much lighter weight, much easier to get up and running version of Elasticsearch, which is always, in my experience, a real pain to get set up and running. So if you're wanting to add site search to your application, to your website, to whatever you're building, and you don't want to deal with the 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 yeah, pain and suffering of Elasticsearch and you and you don't have the budget to for something like Algolia, then definitely check out Mueller Search. It's included out of the box. Um, with Laravel Sale, if you're using that, um, or even Titan's um, Takeout, you can spin up a Miller Search container to work with. So definitely check that out. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Very nice. Okay. We have a, another package here from Ryan Chandler. And this is the, let's see, the using PHP package. So what this does is it enforces the disposal of objects in PHP. So this is inspired by Hack and C Sharp. And it's useful when working with file handles. Um, so what it does is the package contains a disposable interface and then a global using function. And what this does is it ensures object disposal. So in this case, uh, in the readme, he has an example where you'd say class text file and implements disposable. And then what it does is it has a file uh, like file opener, right? So you're going to be using this file handler. And what you want to do is when this class is done being used, you're going to call this, it will call this dispose method, which you set up inside. That's what the disposable trait, uh, or I'm sorry, when you implement the disposable class, you have to have this dispose function method, mm -hmm. excuse me. And in this case, it's going to close out that file handle. Um, this is really helpful for if you have something like, let's say you're uploading a large number of files or something and an exception gets thrown for a bunch of them and you never close those file handles. Um, you could run out mm -hmm. of memory or any sorts of things like that, right? So, and there are other instances where you could use this as well, but this is just a, a really good example and in the example that he happens to provide in the readme. Um, so then the way that you do this is you say using and that what that does is that will make sure that the dispose method is called even in the event of an exception. So you say function using, and then you pass in that disposable thing that you're going to uh, be calling. In this case, that was that text file. 
and then you call that and then in this case if even if it gets even if it throws an exception or, or whatever might happen it's going to go ahead and call that dispose method to go ahead and close out that file handle uh, which is really helpful so there you go mm-hmm. very nice mm-hmm. very nice very nice very nice beautiful Next up, we have the Laravel Soft Deletes Parent Package, which is a package by Brian Dillingham that soft deletes child models when a parent model is soft deleted. Automatically soft delete a model's children while maintaining their own soft deleted state when you restore the parent model. After installing the trait, the post model's parent deleted at. So this is using a separate column so you can link the children with their parents. The parent deleted at column will be updated whenever an author model is deleted or restored. This allows you to maintain the original deleted ad for the post model after author is restored. The post model will scope queries to exclude any where the parent is deleted. To use this package, you need to add a parent deleted at column to the child field in the database, and the package provides a migration helper to generate the correct column and a trait to the child model and register the parent models. So you would put in to your uh, into an app service or into a service provider somewhere a register in your register method post soft deletes parent and then pass it author class. So now you can query with parent trashed and only parent trashed. Um, and so this is a good way if you need to to cascade the, the soft deleting of records, but still maintaining the association and um, being able to determine when, you know, the the child records were deleted independently of the parent and vice versa. So definitely check that one out if that is something that you're working with. I feel like you did this once. Didn't you do something similar I did to a this? Base, I, I did a package called Cascade Soft Deletes, which essentially just whenever you delete a parent, it will recursively go through and delete all the child records. Um, and if they're using soft deletes, like it will set the soft deleted app. Sure. But there's no way to restore in that scenario. Gotcha, that makes sense. Yep. You don't, you don't know, like, was a model deleted when the parent was deleted or was it just deleted separately? Yep. So by adding another column, you can track, okay, this was deleted at the same time. Yeah. As the parent, that makes you know, total kind sense. of thing. So, yeah, good so this allows you to link that together. So, if you wanted to restore the whole thing, the whole chain, yeah, you we, can do it based on yeah, that you value. Wouldn't res- you wouldn't end up restoring all the ones that were actually deleted beforehand, right? So, like, if you had Correct. a draft of something that you deleted, you're like, eh, I don't want to do that, and then you said, well, I deleted that user, but I actually need to restore that user. It's not going to go back and like restore all of their drafts that were deleted as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's gotcha. correct. Yeah. Hey, Michael. I would love to take a second to just tell you about Honey Badger. Should we do it? Let's do it. Michael, let's face it. Your code, no matter how good of a developer you say you are, and you say that a lot, your code is going to have errors, even when it's written by amazing developers like you and me. So when errors happen, it's really nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. Honey Badger sends you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix that error and get on with your day. It also includes uptime and cron monitoring and lets you know when all your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Uh, You can go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is that important, you might ask? Well, self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord like Shark Tank, right? Those people. Mm -hmm. Kevin Mm -hmm. O'Leary, they're Mm -hmm. not talking to Kevin. They're talking to the you and me, the developers. So check out honeybadger.io and get started monitoring your errors in your code today. Thanks so much, Honey Badger. We appreciate you. Okay, my friend. On Perfect. with the show. On with the show. 
we are on to storybook. This is interesting. A yes. storybook is sort of like a thing outside of, I mean, this is not a new concept, right? No. This is not a new concept. But now we have no. storybook for Laravel Blade. Yes, it's called Blast and it is storybook UI development for Laravel Blade. So Storybook for Laravel Blade is a package for to build component libraries using Laravel. Blast lets you render examples of your app's components using the Blade templating engine and Storybook server within your Laravel application. You can think of Storybook server as a UI development environment for your Blade templates that is rendered by Laravel. The package makes it easy to iterate on components using Storybook, using the at Storybook Blade, uh, what do we call them? Blade uh, Directive? Directive, thank you. Yep. Blade Directive. Um, and so you can load something out of Storybook with given arguments, and then you can render a button in isolation. As you make changes to components, Blast will watch changes and automatically regenerate the stories and update Storybook. Once you get Blast installed in a new or existing Laravel application, the package provides various configuration options, including a Storybook server URL, the Storybook theme, the canvas background color, configurable asset autoloading, and more. While Blast will help you get started quickly with Blade and Storybook, it is recommended that you read the Getting Started with Blast Storybook for Laravel Blade, as well as the Storybook official docs. Uh, you can learn more about the package, get full installation instructions, and view the source code on GitHub. We'll have links to that on on uh, in the show notes. But Storybook, um, you can find at storybook.js.org. It is an open source tool for building UI components and pages in isolation, and it streamlines your UI development, testing, and documentation. So it looks really interesting if you're wanting to build out all of your like components. A component library like where a, you can just kind of go grab and yeah. A place to yep. sort of reference everything. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Tailwind UI, but tailored to your application, yeah, so like, your business, your whatever. Also, it provides like a sandbox for you to build these UIs in isolation. So you can like, you know, those, those like edge cases where you, where they're kind of hard to replicate in your interface. Uh, you can pass mm-hmm. in variables to these user interface elements and kind of generate what it would look like in that case. Mm-hmm. So um, you can mock those hard to reach use cases and make sure that they still work in that situation, right? So maybe you have a graph or something and if you have some outlier yeah. data, what does it do in that case, right? You can mock that data getting passed in in this storybook mm-hmm. and then you can see what that looks like without having to do a whole bunch of futzing around in your database and all that stuff. I'm actually really interested in this. This is something that we're kind of taking on as a priority as we're moving forward is we're wanting to make sure that all of our applications really have a consistent interface across the board uh, just to make sure that users don't get lost. And right now it sort of has this disjointed feel. We have like some Mm -hmm. legacy apps that were designed and they kind of had their own sort of pattern. And then we had this in-between sort of, we didn't really have a consistent way of doing it. We were sort of transitioning between bootstrap and tailwind, but we weren't fully in the tailwind camp yet. And then now we're full tailwind, but you know, we've kind of got, you know, a couple sites that look consistent, but the rest Mm -hmm. of them don't. So um, we're, we're getting ready to dive into that. And something like this would actually be really, really helpful. Um, the only thing is, I suppose, is that we yeah. still are using Vue in some spots as well, right? So uh, we started using using mm-hmm. this before uh, Livewire was around and before we had uh, Laravel Blade components. So this is super helpful, but we'll have to see if it can kind of span straddle both. You'll you'll be you'll be pleased to know you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that Storybook works for, with React, Vue, Angular, Web Components, Ember. Mm-hmm. Plain HTML. Yeah, this um, this particular one. React, yeah, it works yeah, all these different things. So. Does. Um, maybe this is just sort of a. I don't know. I don't know if this is just like integrates with Storybook itself because Storybook is 
yeah, maybe it does. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into it. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that because, you know, even some of the big, like you, if I don't know how much you use Facebook, but you will always eventually find your way onto a page in Facebook that uh, looks mm-hmm. like Facebook from 10 years ago. You know, there's always the page has got like the old style square buttons and the, you know, just the flat blue. Um, one of, or no, one, not one of, but like our biggest telco here in Australia, if you click around far enough, you'll find like an interface. If you want to view your historical usage, it will take you to like an old, old, old interface. You can see like all the redirects that it goes through to find this thing, only to ultimately tell you that like the data isn't available there anyway. <laughs> nice. Yes, it does. I mean, it's, it happens it's to the best gonna, of them. Yeah, exactly. Or the, or I mean, the it's biggest of happen them. kind of regardless of uh, how careful you are. But this, a tool like this makes it really easy so that when you have somebody who's new to the team, they can just go to your component library and kind of grab the pieces that they need, right? This is why Tailwind UI is so popular too, right? Because it provides like this template yeah. where you can just go in and say, yep, I like how that looks, copy, paste, you're done, right? And so this gives you the ability to mm-hmm. even take something like the Tailwind UI components, which typically you're going to take them and customize them a little bit or even turn them into these blade components, mm-hmm. right? And then you can just have your own library with your own custom brand colors and all that stuff. And then whenever you're trying to build an interface out, you now have essentially a customized Tailwind UI that you can throw in anywhere you want, right? Which is really nice. Okay. Moving on, creating rich data objects in Laravel. This is a package from guess who? Guess who? I'll give you two guesses and the first one doesn't count. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Mm. Who makes packages for mm. Laravel? Our good friends. It's Spassi. You got it. Must be Spassi. So Laravel, <laughs> Laravel Data is a package by Spassi that enables the creation of rich data objects, which can be used for form requests, data transformers, and more. So I feel like Freak has sort of been on the forefront of this, this you know push, I suppose. They've got their DTO package. Uh, they've got their enums package. Right, they've got all these things, but they love to package these things up into objects, right? And so their newest package here basically allows you to use these same objects in all of these different places without having to describe the data structure multiple times. So the API is simple mm-hmm. for data objects, but it unlocks really powerful features. Um, and so you just do this by taking your class and extending the data class, which comes with obviously with the package. So according to the documentation, extending the package's data class gives you valuable features for working with data across various aspects of Laravel. So buckle up. You're probably going to need to read through this yourself because there's a lot of it. But I'm going to read a couple things here that I think will be helpful. So here are a couple things that extending that data class will do for you. It will automatically transform data objects into resources. Think like the Laravel API resources. So it takes a data object and moves it, you know, creates a resource out of it, like a JSON resource. Uh, it will can it can transform only the requested parts of data objects with lazy properties. So when you load it in, it's not you know think like attributes off of your model. They only get evaluated when you call for that attribute, right? So it transform only the requested parts of data objects with lazy properties. It can automatically create data objects from request data and validate those things as it's creating them. It can automatically resolve validation rules for properties within a data object. Uh, it will make it possible to construct a data object from any type you want. Think like casts. 
It adds support for automatically validating data objects when creating them. It generates TypeScript definitions. This is interesting. So like I've, we've talked about some of these things where there was a package recently where they would take an eloquent model and then generate a TypeScript definition from that model, right? And so Spassi is taking all those things and kind of rolling them into this yeah. one package. So now you can generate a TypeScript definition from your data object. You can also save data objects as property of an eloquent model. So think you have this data object and then you serialize it and store it as part of an eloquent model and a bunch of other things. Uh, the other nice thing about this too is you could have multiple data objects that get uh, hydrated from a single eloquent model. So in that case, it's almost like a presenter class, right? So you could use these as presenters as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have an example from the documentation here where you just say, uh, in this case, the class that they're, that they're talking about, which is their data object, is song data. So you say song data, colon, colon, from, and then they pass in a song uh, model. But you can also create data objects that could possibly be null. So instead of song data from, you can say song data optional and then pass in uh, whatever's going to be in there. So if you were going to do a find and you may get a null back, you could just say song data colon colon optional and then it won't fail when it tries to create that song data. It will find the required properties from models and then use them to construct the data object. And here's the big benefit. You don't have to write the same properties in multiple places, like a resource or a data transfer object or for request validation. It has eloquent casting, a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to read any more of it. There's there's a bunch of things here, right? I know that we could definitely benefit from this. Uh, any, any of us who are using DTOs around your app a lot, this seems like something that could be really helpful for you. And uh, I'm definitely going to have to take a look into this one a little bit deeper. But Laravel data is what it's called. Laravel-data, powerful data objects for Laravel. So that's a good one. That's a really great one. Thanks, Spassi. It looks awesome. It's, it's definitely a, a comprehensive package, especially, as you say, wrapping up all of those different bits and pieces. If you're exporting your models to TypeScript definitions, if you're passing things between form requests and you know validation and all of that kind of stuff, yep. it handles it all for you. It's it's like you. It requires PHP eight. It's very attribute heavy, um, in terms of some of the definitions, yeah, in right. terms of the automatic validation rules and things like that. So it's just something to be mindful of if you're going to be to be working with it in that regard. So definitely definitely worth checking out. I think it's a comprehensive package. I know that Frank said that they've been using it in one of their large client applications at the moment. So it's definitely something that is worth looking into. Um, it's certainly being used at scale in in their context. I think. From the stream that I saw and from the context I got that, that Frag did the other day, it was just a short one, but I think there's still probably some gaps in terms of feature parity with Laravel, but, but definitely an interesting idea in, in terms of something that you can use in your applications moving forward. So uh, check it out. You can like roll your own DTO stuff or you could use their DTO stuff. But uh, the nice thing about this and, and, you know, sort of the pattern that we got into and then ping me is like you want to transform a request uh, as soon as it hits the edge, as soon as you can get to it, you want to create it into an object that you own, right? Something that you know what it is, right? Right. But the nice thing about this is it's not just a DTO. It's not just a class. It's actually transportable between all the different Laravel things that you're going to have to do with it or that you would do throughout the request lifecycle, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's built, obviously, by Spassi since they use Laravel so heavily. It's built, custom built, to give you that ability to make a data object, but then pass it around to all the different places without having to write it again in each spot. So pretty powerful.
Really, really cool. I mean, again, the thing is too, which you have to consider on this as well, is if you're going to build your entire application around this, you're going to, you know, <laughs> just hope to God there's nothing ever that breaks in this package or whatever, right? Because you would have to rewrite everything using these data objects all over the place. So um, yeah. you definitely want to make sure you're bought in all the way if you're going to kind of go all in on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right, on to tutorials. The first one we have here is from... Again, Chris Fidel, things I didn't know about SQS. So he goes into detail around some of the intricacies and is so, what's the word? Intricacies and mm-hmm. eccentricities, I guess, of using um, a simple queue service on, on Amazon Web Services. So he's talking about visibility timeouts, long and short polling, um, guarantees of job order. So by default, SQS is not FIFO. So, you know, you throw... 10 jobs on the queue and job number seven may come out first, then two, then three, then one, then, you know, there's no guarantee that the order that the jobs are pushed onto the queue is the order that they'll come off of the queue, like with with Redis, for example, using Laravel Horizon. So something certainly to be mindful of, especially if your jobs do need to happen in a, in a particular order. Um, so definitely check out that if you're, you know, if you're using SQS or you're down the path of considering SQS and whether or not you'd use that over Redis or something like that. It is a it is a good overview of some of the certainly some of the things yeah, that you need absolutely. to consider. Yeah, if you're going to be using SQS, definitely want to know about these things. So Chris is uh, sharing his hard learned lessons here, and of course, he does the same in his other courses that he's got out there as well. So uh, if you're a fan of Chris's work here, definitely check out his other courses. He does a great job. He's a great teacher. So I also threw in here some community links that I found really interesting. So the first one that I threw in here was validating email addresses. So I was actually not aware of this, but when you use the email validator, there are actually multiple different uh, filters that you can use to pass in after that email validation. So if you say, you know, arrow sign, and then you're passing in the different rules that you're going to use to validate a particular request key, you could say email, but you can also say email colon RFC, right? And so these different, these different RFCs, these different things have uh, different abilities uh, for validating emails in different ways. So there's a bunch of them included here. There is RFC, strict, DNS, spoof, and filter. But in Laravel documentation, it doesn't really explain a lot of that. So if you've ever felt like the email validation in Laravel was confusing or lacking, or maybe it was giving you a type of validation that you weren't sure why it was giving that, I know in the like in the default one, I think it supports not having like a dot com like domain on the end or something. Like I think you can just pass like Jake at Google or something, and it's like, yep, thumbs up, that looks good. Because according to some RFC, yeah, that's in fact acceptable. Well. You might not want that, right? And so this blog post goes through and basically says, here are the different options you can pass through and here's what you can expect it to validate, right? Here's a few examples of email addresses that will pass this validation and then they provide like 10 different email addresses that would pass, right? So contact at minute of Laravel, no.com, no nothing. Yep, that would pass. And that's if you just use RFC, right? But then they also have this strict type, the DNS type, the spoof type, the filter type, all these other ones. And they talk about what each one of those do. So I thought this was a pretty good one uh, just for reference, if nothing else. So thanks, Ivan. Mm-hmm. Ivan, what's your last name, Ivan? Or your surname? Ivan doesn't have a last name, doesn't have a surname. Just Ivan. One one thing that I would be um, mindful of if you're using, I think it's the mm-hmm. RFC validation 
maybe one of the one of the validation rules, it may be the DNS one. Um, if you're using like example.com as in your test, you will actually hmm. find that the validation will fail because there are no mail records set oh, up for that. So if you mm-hmm. you know if you're doing those kinds of checks and your tests start failing when you start playing around with this stuff, just just keep that in mind. Um, that that you know things like that may break unexpectedly, but definitely um, being able to pass additional validation uh, constraints in there, you know, around whether it's a valid uh, RFC or DNS address is something that, that you need to be mindful of. But yeah, as you, as you said, you know, if you've got um, local mail addresses, you know, f- for, for um, RFC compliance purposes, if you've got like a user on a, on a server and you're just sending mail to like Jake at, um, you know, harmonious pond or something, you know, that is technically a valid email address mm-hmm. in the context of a local mail delivery. So that that is obviously valid, um, as you mentioned. So lots of lots of deep, dark, scary things, considering there's, you know, 30 or 40 years worth of RFCs covering email. And this, this spoof check validation one is pretty cool too. So they have like info at paypal.com and info at paypal.com. They literally look like the exact same thing, but one of the A's is not like a standard Unicode A. It's like a different A. Yeah. Um, and so it looks like paypal.com, but mm-hmm. it's actually not paypal.com. It's something else. So if you use this spoof validation check, it can actually make sure that all the characters of the email are from a single script. So it uses this native PHP spoof checker class, um, to make sure that it's not some garbage email, really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, like I said, reference, yep. check that out. This shared locker lock for update one. This is interesting too, Michael. I don't know if you, um, you got a chance to look at this one at all? I haven't. I haven't read it. I had a, I had a quick flick through it. Um, in terms of like using the lock for update and shared locks in Laravel and in Eloquent for database, mm-hmm. um, performance. Um, and and in terms of like, sometimes you can be writing yes. to the database faster than you're reading from it, or there are delays in reading from it, and so you you run into these issues where you're getting stale data, or or you're getting, um, you know, you're doing inserts that that are then conflicting on on unique constraints and things like that. Um, so this post from Alex Renocchi, Renocchi goes into, you know, the needs for using mutexes to to lock records um, in terms of critical use cases there. And one thing that can go wrong is to have database problems and let users by accident, for example, take off the same item twice. You know, if you've got a shopping cart um, and you're not locking that that data, that you could have, you know, someone buys one item and someone buys two items, you know, you can end up, Trying to fulfill an order for three items, and I think Adam Adam Weathern might have covered this in his testing course some time ago now, where where he went through that kind of stuff and and how to handle you know that kind of quantity constrained stuff. Um, but this this post by Alex goes into looking at pessimistic locking and database transactions and all of that kind of stuff, and the, and the tooling that's available within the context of Laravel and how that works under the hood a little bit as well. So. Um, if that's something that you that you've stumbled upon or you've you're interested in, then definitely check out this post. Yep, we'll have absolutely. a, a link good to explanation. It in the show notes. Thanks, Michael. All right, the last one I linked up here is called Modern PHP Cheat Sheet. So, uh, what this is is a listing of different structures that you might find in uh, modern projects, and uh, it's not really intended to help teach you PHP, but to help developers with basic knowledge who might struggle with a more modern code base. Right, so. 
Uh, if you've never had somebody who has used the null coalesce operator, what is that, right? So they see something like that and they're like, what is that? I don't know what that is. You can kind of point them here and say, here's where it is. And Or a null safe mm-hmm. operator, what is that? What's a spread operator? How do you use named arguments, right? What's um, uh, what's type declaration? How do you destructure arrays? These are things that you might see in a modern PHP code base that you've not been familiar with before. And so you need a couple examples or something. And obviously you can go to like, php.net or whatever it is and get some of that but they also have some really good examples here along with here's some ways that you could maybe use these things right they also have uh Mm -hmm. in in each one of these little examples they'll have here's the version of php this was introduced in so this is available for anything that's php 7.1 or greater a nullable type right you can pass in null as a value or as a default and then as well as like some gotchas, right, that you might run into in, your, in case you're using these things. But a really, really helpful resource, honestly, uh, and also kind of helps you to remember what are some things that are available that you might not be using that could be available in the particular version of PHP that you're using that you could take advantage of, like the spread operator or named arguments. Those are really, really helpful things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just mm-hmm. forget, I knew there was something new in PHP 8 that I was wanting to use, but I can't remember what it was. And so... This has got some links to some of those things you might be interested in checking out. So we will have a link to that in the show notes as well. It's not really a easy, it's like github.com slash smknstd slash modern dash php dash cheat sheet. Kind of reminds me of that name, that smknstd reminds me of that Yatsu blah, 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 whatever your name used to be. What was it? <laughs> yeah, not, uh, not pronounced. Yeah, and so never, nobody ever remembered that. That was Michael's old uh, handle. At Studi, mm-hmm. and it stood for something. I don't remember. It was like Elvish tongue for like boots of escaping. I have no idea what it was. What was it? <laughs> it, it was a backronym for I am too stupid to use the internet. Oh, well, hey, that works too. <laughs> 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 I didn't know that's what it was. I am too stupid to use the internet. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Hey, man. Still that, true to this day. Yeah. I mean, aren't we all? I think we said last <laughs> show, like, how amazing it is that we can even talk from this side of the world to that side of the world at all. Like it was just yeah. incredible. I mean, it, it works. It's hard to believe. Um, yeah. Michael, that that that's the show, man. That's episode one fifty four. That's it. Any any final uh, parting words before I close this out here? I have nothing to add other than the detail app that I had thought was going to be a good solution to my camera quality problems is proving in the last little while to be dreadful. I don't oh, yeah, know how it's, it's coming out. through for you, but I'm oh, watching. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching the eCam stream and it's just dropping frames and it's miles behind so i don't know what part of this whole setup is the problem but um i don't know maybe a new macbook will fix it there you go hey there you go get them on order and not coming until the middle of end of november so yeah I, oh, i've got my december uh, if i order it now yeah i i ordered the 14 inch present. because i was like oh man the 14 inch would be great uh, I think I'll really like that form factor. And Adam Wathen got like the 14 and the 16 and ended up being like, oh, definitely the 16. The 14 is like a baby computer. Mm. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah, try but the he, 14. He uses, he uses it, right, as a as a secondary screen. Whereas like I have the 16 inch because it was like the most powerful computer that Apple had available. Mm-hmm. So that's why I bought it. But it mm-hmm. spends 99% of its time in clamshell on my desk underneath my ultralight. Sure. So yeah. I don't don't really use that 16-inch often. And like you can spec up the 14-inch with the exact Which same exactly processor and memory and, yeah, and, I, I and, and whatever as you can in the 15-inch and uh, in the 16-inch. And really it's $300 difference just for the extra screen real estate. So if you're not 
I think if you're not using it, it doesn't really matter too much. And in most scenarios, like, I because I'll happily use my 13 inch MacBook Air when I'm out and about. Right. See, and that's, like that's yeah. that's fine. So that's kind of where I'm at. Is like I feel like most of the time when I'm going to be using it as a primary screen, it's going to be I'm going to be on the go, right? Or even as a secondary screen, I'm going to be like going to a meeting. Like I don't want to lug around a 16 inch if I can have. Uh, you know, the 14 inch is a little bit lighter, a little bit easier for transport, mm-hmm. then I'll use the 14. So I think I'll be happy. Yeah, I'm with not it. We'll using see. it all the time as like the primary computer, as the primary display. So yeah. no problems there. Exactly. Yep. I'm excited. I, th- I'm, I, uh, I was showing you a couple, little bit earlier. I've got, <laughs> I got an extra MagSafe cable because I'm going to need a second one always, mm-hmm. right? You need one. Uh, but uh, I haven't gotten the machine yet. So. Soon enough. Soon enough. Hey, everybody. This was episode 154. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. You can find you can find that podcast.laravel-news.com slash 154. If you liked the show, we would really appreciate it if you would rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. If you have any questions, of course, feel free to hit us up at Jacob Bennett at Michael Dorinda or at Laravel News. Thanks again, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show today. And until next time, folks, we'll see you. Bye. Bye.